Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor at America. And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Media. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, Jim Keane, who is a senior editor at America and uh, works on literary affairs and is in charge of our book reviews and has also had uh, an outstanding recent article on the future of the church in Ireland. Jim, how are you? Good, Matt. Thank you for having me. The... The, the contemporary movement, uh, Black Lives Matters, and its relationship to the uh, early civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King, particularly during this period when we are remembering uh, his life and the anniversary of his death, uh, that's a complicated story, and so we turn to Nicole Flores to help us understand it. Indeed. Uh, Dr. Nicole Flores is an assistant professor of religious studies at the University of Virginia, and she speaks and writes and teaches about the significance of Catholic and Latinx theology and ethics in plural, social, political, and ecclesial contexts. Uh, and she also happens to be a contributing writer for America. So, Nicole, welcome to the show. Hello, Dr. Flores, are you there? Well, we've apparently lost Nicole. All right. So we <laughs> will come back to her. For folks uh, who... Nicole, are you there? No? Okay. Okay. So uh, the, we have a piece on our website, americamagazine.org slash serious. You can find it there. Uh, called Martin Luther King Jr. and the Dignity of the Black Lives Matter Network. Right. Uh, and it's, I mean, I think it's a really powerful piece because it makes a connection between something, it makes a, the conne- a connection between the historical and the contemporary in a very meaningful way. Speaking of connections, we might now have one to Dr. Flores. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Flores, are you there? <laughs> yes. Uh, hello. Can you hear me now? Yes. Very good. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I wonder if we could start with a little bit about what uh, compelled you to connect uh, these, these, this sort of uh, paragon of our civil rights movement with the contemporary uh, movement going on today. Uh, yes. Um, well, the entire piece was inspired by an experience I had of attending a protest against uh, the travel ban last February with my husband, who is uh, not uh, really initiated in the practices of protest. You know, I kind of got my start uh, uh, advocating for human, uh, for farm workers' rights and being out on picket lines. So I knew a thing or two about how these things went down. But I attended one with my husband, and he was kind of overwhelmed by the entire experience, I think, for folks who've never been to a protest, it can be really overwhelming. But afterwards, he shared with me that of all of the things that were said and chanted and done, that two struck him as being really particularly true. One was that in, uh, we were chanting, this is what democracy looks like. And he said that that seemed true to him. And the other thing that seemed just fundamentally true and evident was that Black Lives Matter. And we were chanting that over and over again. And for him, it was really resonant. And that really caught my attention and got me thinking about how it is that 
the thinking that we do as Catholics, especially about the dignity of the human person and the unassailability of that dignity, uh, what that has to do with our contemporary movement and that phrase that has become so deeply controversial and polarizing, and yet, as uh, my very <laughs> introverted, uh, not very uh, politically kind of, uh, 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 you know, high-strong husband was uh, pointing out that we have difficulty saying that. So I kind of wanted to explore that tension in my writing and thinking on the topic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now you've in you've done a lot of writing and thinking on this topic. You've been able to go around the country to give talks on this uh, as a Catholic and a woman of color and someone who lives in Charlottesville, where mm -hmm. a lot of these conversations and unfortunately violence has taken place. Um, can you talk a bit about your experience of of speaking in different places about this this topic and what kind of uh, reception that you've been met with? Yes. Well, it's been a interesting set of experiences because it's hard to predict what I'm going to hear and see and encounter depending on where where I go and uh, I've been as I say in the article I'm I've been kind of stunned in a good way that so many people who I I speak with after each event or who ask questions after my lectures and presentations often are just trying to find a way to to say something very basic, that we're all created in the image of God and that we're all equal, and that people are kind of searching for the best way to say that and have had these uh, very different, in some cases, and even divergent experiences of race and racism, of anti-blackness, that make it can make it difficult to kind of land on a common uh, answer or, or, you know, feel settled with what I've, I've been saying or talking about for, uh, for the hour before that, but that there's really, uh, at least in my experiences, and maybe it's just the people I've been meeting and talking to, I've met some really great people, some really, you know, people who are really committed and really concerned to human, you know, uh, committed to human equality and concerned about it, but I, I see that that longing for affirmation of dignity there. But at the same time, uh, again, as I think I mentioned in the piece, uh, especially as a woman of color for whom experiences of discrimination and racism have been a defining part of my life since I'm able to remember anything, it's uh, sometimes very challenging to be in the place of teaching about these particular issues given the kinds of differences in perspective and disagreements, um, not just theological, but political disagreements that people bring into these conversations. And uh, that's been really eye-opening, seeing that on the ground in various uh, settings. But I guess in my experience, uh, it hasn't uh, often been motivated by ill will or desire to upset me as a person of color or out of a place, you know, coming from a place of hatred. And Dr. Flores, you know, I, uh, in the piece you mentioned uh, that oftentimes you, you, you meet people who are very well-meaning in discussions, but they back off immediately when it comes to questions like Black Lives Matter or the movement for black lives on the grounds that it's too radical, that it can't make a positive contribution to the mm -hmm. conversation. Yes, yes, that that element of it, I think, had been the most uh, 
surprising to me. Again, perhaps because of my own uh, position in the world as an academic and as a theologian, uh, again, to say that Black Lives Matter is uh, self-evidently true to me, but I think there's a lot of different information out there, both in the um, mainstream media, the broader media kind of atmosphere, uh, ecosystem, if you will, out there um, debating uh, what the significance of Black Lives Matter is for our society uh, that is really informing people's views. But uh, I was really stunned to hear on in several different locations from people who had nothing to do with each other uh, that there was a sense that Black Lives Matter was something akin to the KKK. And having uh, this past summer had uh, a personal experience of the KKK uh, in the rally here in uh, my hometown in Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, I just found that very stunning and wondering, I was left wondering what the logic was behind that. Um, and why, what, what kind of rhetoric and what kind of understanding of the movement for black lives um, as the broader movement and Black Lives Matter in particular was kind of guiding that impression um, or if there was rhetoric that I just wasn't hearing in my own uh, encounter with the media that, you know, somebody was out there saying that. I'm still not exactly sure where it's coming from, but it seemed to be coming from multiple different sources and established over, you know, the course of, you know, the, this time I'd been traveling to speak about this issue. I'd heard it, you know, from New Jersey to uh, Central Virginia, uh, you know, and everywhere in between. So uh, I was kind of curious about what was behind that logic. Right, right. And or if there was anything at all <laughs> behind the logic. <laughs> right. That, I mean, that is an interesting question. Uh, and it seems to me that it is, it's, that there is a, uh, there's a parallel in, in, the, in the life of, of, of Dr. King, uh, in, in the sense that people who opposed him frequently accused him of being a communist and uh, the mm -hmm. civil rights movement as being a manifestation of the communist movement and that uh, I, I suppose what they have in common is the sense that they belong to larger movements or organizations that are attempting to subvert the entire American system. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, Nicole, I, you, uh, the conversation around Black Lives Matter often, uh, as, as you sort of noted, tends toward um if, if folks tend to disagree around around this topic it is people who want to counter that with all lives matter which certainly you could say in you know in the catholic church uh all we that's what the church preaches all lives matter uh but the church also talks about you know a preferential preferential option for those who are most vulnerable can you talk a little bit about how you see black lives matter fitting into catholic theology Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this summer, I was uh, chatting with a, a much more uh, senior theologian than myself, uh, who I didn't ask if I could uh, uh, mention on on the air, so I, I won't <laughs> I won't drop a name here. But somebody who's very well versed in thinking about issues of uh, Catholic theology and culture, and uh, we were talking about just this subject that, of course 
all lives matter. Nobody is saying that, you know, nobody else's life matters, but that um, in order to say that all lives matter is a baseline for Catholic theology. That's that's the, the price of entry. We have so much more to say about how we respond to to suffering and to injustice, and that that's the the content of our our social teaching and our theological tradition. So to say that Black Lives Matter, I I don't see as having any conflict at all with uh, with saying that all lives matter, but as an acknowledgement of the real harms and suffering in the very DNA of our of our country and uh, the experience of uh, Black women, men, and children within this country, um, and and the ongoing, uh, honestly, the ongoing uh, grief and lament over what just seems like this endless deluge of the loss of Black lives of unarmed Black men and women. Uh, oh, who are killed in situations where they were minding their own business or holding a cell phone in in their backyard or, or, or whatever that is. So I think that it's easy to kind of break down into hashtag thinking dichotomous, either all lives matter or black lives matter. And there's no way to talk about this, but uh, that, that can acknowledge both of those things. But that's what Catholic, Catholic theology does best is to hold those things in tension that may sound to the world like they don't belong together, but clearly within our theological tradition and our understanding of God becoming flesh for us, suffering, dying, and rising again for us, that we can understand uh, something that doesn't, something that might seem to be in tension to, you know, the mind of the world. And I think All Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter is one instance of that. I don't think that it undermines uh, a claim for all of human life at all to say that Black Lives Matter. No, and it, it, it seems to me that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white man, and I was just having a conversation with a member of my family about this uh, over, the, over the Christmas holiday, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I said, well, you know, all lives matter, that is to state the obvious from the point of view of, of Catholic social teaching, right? Mm-hmm. But in the, when you consider the culture and the history and the institutional uh, prejudice in this country, it's not obvious that Black Lives Matter, <laughs> right? In that sense, <laughs> right? And yeah. and it's also not a, not as if the, the I mean, no one is claiming that only Black Lives Matter, right? It's to yeah, a, yeah. assert a different. It's to it's to assert, in it's to in, to bring into the public conversation uh, a, a reality that is underappreciated. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if you know because this this month, of course, we recognize the 50th anniversary of the death of Dr. King and. And one of the things that you mentioned in this piece is you're talking about the connection between Dr. King's legacy and the uh, contemporary Black Lives Matter movement is, uh, this is something that actually struck me because I recently visited Memphis and I went to the Lorraine Motel. And mm-hmm. uh, is, is you say that, 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 his, that Dr. King's uh, legacy has sort of been taken out of context or in some ways and, and, or watered down the radical nature of his dream um, or minimi- minimized his protest. And, and I thought about that actually when I was visiting Memphis because it does seem to me that there is a, a consensus, certainly among the broad majority of Americans, that 
Dr. King was a was a great man and a visionary. Um, but that consensus itself is indicative of the fact that his message in the retelling has lost some of its edge. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about some of the ways in which that has happened. Yes, yes, uh, and I think I think that's a risk of uh, of speaking in the in the key of love that that he did because his uh, he always led with the. Uh, well, he really led with this prophetic voice, but it was always followed with this invitation, this invitation to relationship, to beloved community. And that uh, that vision of things, I think, can easily be domesticated in our minds as something, you know, as hospitality uh, at very least, but also uh, the radical act of, of love and building relationship across difference that that can be seen as something that, you know, we teach in kindergarten and it's, you know, uh, it's not, not very uh, challenging or radical, but it, it, it really is. <laughs> and uh, I think that um, his, his life and the, these key moments of his life that kind of gets, uh, pushed into the background. You know, we have the foreground of the strong figure standing on the National Mall, very young, very healthy, vibrant man, uh, giving uh, a speech that a lot of people ca- could, you know, sign on to and were inspired by. But that gets lost within uh, not just the rest of his written work and his sermons and the content of those, which, of course, were also deeply critical of violence and war and economic injustice, all of these other issues that are also uh, at the heart of Catholic social teaching and are seen as controversial politically. Uh, but I think they get lost in the uh, in some crucial moments in his life. You know, he was arrested. He blocked city streets and disrupted civil order nonviolently, but he he was a disruptor trying to create a change. And I think that it's interesting to me to see the response to Black Lives Matter today, because uh, so many folks who I know, um, especially from uh, my, uh, my own childhood, you know, folks who I, I knew in uh, high school when I was in Denver today, you know, the, uh, some of the, the responses uh, to, to Black Lives Matter protests are, well, they're in my way of getting somewhere. And why would they block a street that's so uncivilized? And why didn't they do this like MLK? <laughs> and uh, it, it's very interesting to me that that dynamic uh, in that reality of what he did has been lost to the the public imagination, the broader public imagination, uh, uh, and not, not imagination, the broader public memory of who he was and what he stood for, and literally that he disrupted <laughs> uh, the way things were going nonviolently in order to, uh, to make a point. And uh, uh, that point was that Black Lives Matter. <laughs> so that that's right. the other uh, point of contact there is that uh, I think uh, the message of reconciliation, while that is definitely present and prominent in his thinking, the the necessary condition for that reconciliation was an acknowledgement of that fundamental truth, that manifest truth, that Black Lives Matter. 
And without that acknowledgement, nothing else that he was advocating would have been possible. Right. 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 And, and I think that oh, – sorry, Matt. I think that one, th one of the consequences of that is you have circumstances like you mentioned during this year's Super Bowl when you have an ad for Dodge Trucks, which is using his – Dr. King's words are sort of wrested out of context as a – selling point for what is essentially a, a small SUV completely <laughs> completely <laughs> right. disconnected to the issues that he was concerned about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and it's so easy. It's so easy to, to do that. I think it for, for all of us it's a little bit of I I guess uh MLK eisegesis, if you will. <laughs> you know, you can take anything out of the text and kind of plop it in where you want it and <laughs> you know it's uh it it will do violence to that, that text and that memory. Well, it also happened. Uh, it also happens frequently to the one that he served, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yes, the, the, the gospels and the message of Jesus are also ripped out of context too, and uh, presented uh, the message of Jesus anyway. Often presented as if it were a hallmark card instead of the yes. radical, life-changing, revolutionary thing that it is. Nicole Flores's piece is Martin Luther King Jr. and the Dignity of the Black Lives Matter Network. You can find it at americamagazine.org forward slash serious. Uh, Nicole, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I must say that I was uh, I was really struck when I went to Memphis and uh, I knelt in uh, prayer at the Lorraine Motel, and it had uh, I was first of all I was struck by the number of people who were doing that. Um, secondly, uh, I was I was I was struck by the the simplicity of the place and uh, how I, I don't know it's 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 austerity kind of helped me enter into the moment um, but there's also a mural on the back wall and uh, of different faces from the civil rights movement and I was glad to see uh, a Catholic priest and a sister represented there and um, to know that that at least part of the Catholic community an important part of the Catholic community was a, was a part of that movement in such an important way. Yeah, well, Nicole mentions in her piece the importance of liturgy and prayer in, in fighting racial injustice that that's not it's not just words. It's it's real action. Not just words. Exactly. You've been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Uh, you can find all of the stories that we talked about this week at uh, americamagazine.org forward slash Sirius. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. And to subscribe to America, call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Jim Keen and Kerry Weber, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you and good day. Thank you for listening to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.